past few years, we've heard the term free agents and been told we would all need to become one in order to succeed. The recent economic structures have helped to promote this concept as reality. Where do we get the tools to take control of our career path in the present and future? Welcome to The Career Confidant with your host, Marie Zimanoff. Marie and her guest experts are here to provide you with the tools you need to move forward and achieve your career goals. Now, here is Marie Zimanoff. Hello and welcome to The Career Confidant. And today we're going to talk a little bit about women's issues in the workplace and how women and men can benefit from more women in the workplace and more women in leadership roles and a little bit about how we can make that happen, whether you're a job seeker or leader or a career services provider. So this is something that's been going on since 2015, where McKinsey and Lean In have been collaborating to collect data on women in the workplace. And of course, always good to have this longevity of data from 2016 to 2021. And we can look at some of the changes that have happened in in the workplace over that amount of time. And really, there's two different things going on as far as I read and, and even my group of career thought leaders that we get together and chat on a regular basis is also seeing this, that more women are struggling So more women have left the workplace than ever before. The data was around 2 million women left the workplace in September after the, uh, after, after COVID started. So September, 2021 and, or September, 2020, and they haven't gone back. Now, some people have, have, you know, speculated as to why haven't they gone back? Did they find something entrepreneurial to do that's bringing in the same amount of money? Did they figure out how to live without that dual income so that they could stay at home with the kids during this uncertain time? Did they realize that they wanted to do something else and they're still working on getting back because there's still more than a million women who have not gone back to work? Now, in terms of our labor shortage, I mean, we can see how this is playing out in some of the headlines that we're reading in terms of jobs being open and, and not being filled. When you've got a million women sitting on the sidelines, that's going to be a challenge. And it's not all about pay, although it is. It's not all about work-life balance, although it is. It's not all about uncertainty, but it's, it is, right? There's a million different things going on here. And it's not a simple solution, not a simple problem. The other thing that's going on is that more women are finding opportunities for leadership roles. More women are getting brought into board roles. And this is specifically driven by some data from Goldman Sachs as well as McKinsey years ago, two or three years ago, that found boards that had women, their companies were more financially successful. Now, this doesn't have to do anything specifically with women being better leaders than men. It's not where we're going with this. It actually shows up no matter what kind of diversity you talk about on a board because people then are more comfortable bringing up their opinions. They have different opinions and you're likely to get better solutions when you have a diversity of thought in the room. And women being clearly bringing diversity to most of these conversations has created some financial gains, enough so that Goldman Sachs stopped 
investing in companies that didn't have diverse boards. And that, like I said, that data was pre-COVID and we were looking at how can women be, be higher into the leadership roles. Then when COVID came, we lost women out of all types of roles but there also were more opportunities for women to move up into leadership. So let's dive in and we're going to look at some of this data from the McKinsey Women in the Workplace 2021 study. And this is publicly available, you know, McKinsey, search McKinsey, Women in the Workplace 2021 will come up really quickly. Interestingly, where women make their first struggle is at that level from entry, you know, from individual contributor to manager. That's where the first kind of fall off of women happens in the leadership pipeline. But we have seen a gain in women within these leadership pipelines. So in the C-suite, there's been a 27% increase percentage change from 2016 to 2021. So that's a good thing. 14% increase at the senior vice president level. And then you see very small increases at most of the other levels. But this does indicate what we're seeing is a higher level of opportunity for women in executive leadership roles. And I would say that's pretty clearly tied to some of this financial data that these organizations have been putting out and the mandates that that has created for women in the boardroom. Because it's hard to hire executives that are women if you don't have it, women in the boardroom. I spent my you know, my formative years, if you will, before I started my own company, recruiting for collegiate engineering programs. And we repeatedly saw the same challenges, that if you don't have any female faculty, you have a hard time recruiting female graduate students, which was, well, how most of the diversity numbers were looked at. Undergraduates, sure, in undergraduates, we had more of a problem of retaining those females who started out in engineering and in the master's program, more of a problem recruiting those females until we started to get some more females in the in the, the ranks of the faculty. If people don't see people like them in the roles that they're interested in in the organization, they're less likely to join no matter how much you sweeten the pot. I think I told the story a few weeks ago about one of my husband's colleagues who's interviewing at a company where there were no women in any of the interviews. And this is a younger woman applying to what seems to to be a pretty stereotypical tech startup where it's male-dominated all the senior leadership are male. There are females listed on the About Us page of their company website, but nothing, no, no women were in the interviews. It's really hard for that female to take that job, wondering, are those people on the About Me page really there? Are they, are, are they at the company? Are they real? Why weren't any of them involved in the, the, in the interviews? If they don't have any power, do I really want to work here? And women are going to be sensitive to that people with other intersectionalities minorities and in other ways are going to be sensitive to that and maybe one thing that recruiting teams are catching on to 
And again, when you've got more females on the board, that's just going to flow down to the other areas where there's challenges. So one of the other interesting parts about this report is that they looked at intersectionalities in ethnicity, so both Asian and black women, and the struggles that they are facing as white women are gaining ground. So are women in other categories, but not as quickly. Um, And in some categories, in some ways, they've seen a decrease in participation in the workforce, especially for black women and black women who are educated, but are not getting into roles where that education matches the role. And it was really frustrating to see the data on that. It's almost a backslide over the last 20 years in terms of black women with degrees being able to get into leadership roles. They also looked at some of the data around women being more burned out than men. (laughs) It's not surprising. Uh, I know many men have picked up some slack and helping with the the family situations during COVID. But for the most part in in the U.S. and definitely in other countries, women are, are the default caretakers. And we've seen that come up quite a few times here. They also look at the intersectionality in terms of disability. So one in 10 working women has a disability. And Individuals with disabilities are often overlooked and undervalued. That tends to be more true for women. So only 25% of employees say their company prioritized disability in its DEI efforts. We are seeing more emphasis there, which is nice, but it's a challenge for people with disabilities to get some of the same accommodations, if you will, and focus when it comes to diversity conversations, something that us as career coaches have been thinking about for a while, and then how can we help employers be more aware and be more effective at including that in their diversity conversations. Um, When you look at, you know, what employees want out of leaders, women tend to rate as doing more, and you know, you could argue that is that perception or is that truth, but perception is truth, especially when you're talking about employees feeling supported at work. So there's some interesting data in here in terms of women being more active as de- de- diversity champions, um, being more active in terms of engaging with their employees and making their employees feel helped, feel um, welcomed, and just some good data there if you are working with a company that's trying to be more gender aware in their hiring. Um, How does that that look? Um, So then we look a little bit at what are some of the challenges that women face that we could help them be more aware of as coaches. Or if you are in a leadership role and you want to be a better ally to women, here are some of the things that they're spoken that they're facing. So the first is being interrupted or spoken over more than others. And this happens more as women get into the senior leadership roles. Fascinating research around the silencing that women and and minorities often face in the workplace and what that does to their physical body. Um, Thinking about 
how can you continue to have a voice when you don't feel like you're being heard, when you feel like you're being silenced? Are there ways in the workplace that women can find to maintain that voice? And if you are on a leadership team, to be thoughtful and careful about that, making sure that voices in the room are not silenced. And this can be, um, and they're called microaggressions, right? Because it's something that we may not realize we're doing or we may not realize is happening. But when there's a consistent overt, and and it is oftentimes not really that, um, you know, it's pretty obvious that this is happening in meetings. And if you are a leader, just to sit back and watch this, especially in virtual meetings, to make sure that there's some kind of system and structure where people get to voice their opinions and where all opinions are heard through before they're dismissed. And if you are a woman who's feeling some of this in the workplace, consider how you might create structure in a meeting to help everyone's voice get more heard. And are there a way that we can look at the system or the process and not the people? When we're talking about issues like this, sometimes it's helpful to look at improving the system or the process. So how is the meeting run? How are people asked for their opinions? How are people, how are ideas judged or how do we give feedback on ideas? Because when we look at the process, that can improve it for everyone. And it can be easier for everyone to grab on to implement, operationalize, if you will, when we look at that structure for how these things happen. Having your judgment questioned in your area of expertise is also something that happens more to women as they move into senior areas of leadership. And then having others comment on their emotional state. Um, It's always interesting when we think about the different ways we talk about men and women and why they might be cutting us off or cutting short or having a hard time and just to watch our language around that. So we're going to take a short break and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about salary negotiation and hiring specifically as it relates to gender issues and some of the amazing things that are happening right now in this space to bring gender equity to the forefront. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. 
Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we've been talking a little bit about how we can advance women in the workplace and how we can help women in the workplace advance if we are a leader or maybe a career services provider that is in this position. So we are in an interesting time where, as I said, for the last few years, there's been some data pointing to the financial benefits of diversifying leadership teams, diversifying boards. And you've seen a you've seen a marked change, especially in the upper levels and in board because of that. And, you know, the financial data is driving that, which is great. And now you're starting to see some technology advance in this area. So we've seen recruiting systems that are trying to eliminate bias, always some challenges there. And, and they've working through some of those from uh, probably 2018, 2017, when Amazon had some AI they were using for recruitment and they found that it was just as gender biased as the humans were. A lot of those systems have progressed. They've become better at what they do. And one of the main ways these systems are participating in reducing the gender bias is by reducing gender bias in the job description which doesn't seem like it would be a huge deal, but when you read job descriptions that are obviously male-focused, um, you know, and some of the language they talk about is is either really aggressive language and or kind of strange language like ninja and guru that tend to appeal more to male than females. And then you get less females in your pool and tons of research shows that if we especially only have one of a female or one, you know, black female in a pool, it's the likelihood of that person being hired is next to nothing. A lot of these technologies are really focused on how can we increase the diversity of our candidate pool by 
having a broader sourcing pool, reaching out to more people, looking in more places, as well as making sure that the job description itself doesn't turn off certain types of people before they even apply. And uh, just amazing to see some of this technology. Um, There's just an article that came out in Market Watch this month about some work that a California Berkeley professor is doing around ways to reduce the gender bias in job postings. And there's some new software coming out for all of this. It's, it's very interesting to watch. If you are working in a smaller company and maybe you don't have access to this kind of, you know, you don't have access to that kind of technology, simply being aware and thinking about it there is a free system that you can use. Um, it, it's it's called Gender Decoder. Gender Decoder, you can put things through there for free and it will score and tell you what the gender language for that is. Um, and that will help that will help these individuals feel like they can apply to the role and and diversify your pool from the very beginning. Now, when you're looking at the pipeline for women and some other ways that this is impacted, of course, a lot of it has to do with bias in the hiring process. And this is where some of our tactics in the last year have gotten a little bit muddled. So you may remember that about six months ago, there was a big splash about how you could use caregiver or stay-at-home parent as a job title on LinkedIn. And this was brought about mainly by someone complaining that it wasn't available. And so LinkedIn kind of made this huge splash that, yes, it was available. And by the way, you've been able to put whatever your little heart pleases into a LinkedIn job title since, since at least 10 years ago but they made it an official job title. The challenge here is, is that really helpful? Because that assumes that there are enough women in leadership who are also proponents of working mothers because those things are not necessarily synonymous, right? I think we see, oh, there's women in leadership. That means they're going to be more apt to recruit a a working mom. And that's not necessarily true because people are often biased against people who are exactly like them. And you've heard me quote this statistic probably before, but, you know, 80 some percent of people are biased against overweight people, which includes, of course, probably 90% of overweight people. So just because you might be a working mother or have been in the past, maybe your kids are grown now, whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that you are sympathetic to or able to eliminate your bias against women who have children. To really be a cognizant of a bias and not play into it, you have to be aware of that bias and aware of the role that bias might play in the process, which takes a specific type of exploration, training, and consciousness during the hiring process, not necessarily being part of that group that may be discriminated against. And this is an important part of the process 
for a hiring team to really understand what bias means, how it comes into the process, and what it doesn't mean. You know, just because you might bring a working mom onto your recruitment team does not mean that the process will be necessarily less biased. More diversity of opinion, which might help, but if that person feels silenced or if they've got their own bias against working other working mothers for some reason, it's not going to matter. Now, what this did to candidates is that all of a sudden it it told candidates that they should put these types of things on their resume and LinkedIn profile without explaining the downsides. So the downside that there is still a motherhood penalty, which recently is 2018, the majority of people still reported that they believed mothers should be at home taking care of children. There is still bias. And putting that information on your resume could still hurt you. Also, specifically to LinkedIn and to your resume, job titles matter. Companies look at job titles and they want to see job titles that match up to the roles they're looking for. So if your most recent job title is not relevant to the jobs they're hiring for, it's possible that you will not be pulled up in their searches because they're searching for people that have held job titles that they're, current, that they're looking to fill. So using these job titles that are not standard can hurt you because you won't show up in the employer's search. And when we don't have a foot in reality, we can lose this opportunity to get to the table, the interview table, to have these conversations and to get past some of the bias that people may not be aware is influencing their hiring decisions. We want our marketing materials to communicate the relevant skills, accomplishments, and titles. And this is really no matter what kind of transition you're making. If we don't communicate the relevant titles, skills, and and credentials, a hiring manager can't see how we fit. And we've got to be thoughtful about that no matter what kind of transition we're making. Use the titles and the skills that are relevant for that job that you're aiming for. Translate the volunteer and paid work that you've had into that language. And be careful about how you fill a gap. Filling a gap with the fact that you've been a caregiver is not a bad thing, but we don't want it to take up a lot of space on the page or on LinkedIn. We want you to get right into the relevant work history that you've had in the past that demonstrates that you can do the job that someone is hiring for today. That's what this is all about. It's what the hiring process is all about. And it really is meant to deliver a connection and create that space to hire someone that has the skills that they're looking for. And they're really trying to be as um, objective as they can be, despite all of the human bias that is put into this process. Now, this lines up with the McKinsey data talking about how women of women who have young children are oftentimes more worried about their flexible work hurting their career. They're more worried about being viewed as less committed. They're, they feel like they have to work harder to get noticed. And that 
mothers feel that way more than men. And then mothers who feel like they're the only mother of young children in their office feel that even more. And before, you know, we say, oh, that's just a perception and women worry more than men, which could be true. There is data that shows, and it's a little bit older, but it's pretty darn compelling that women who are mothers get offered lower salary than women who are not mothers and that men actually get that fatherhood bonus um, and tend to get, make more when they have kids. And that data, pretty convincing data, it is from 2016, 2017. Um, I'd love to see those studies repeated. But like I said, 2018 data did show that the majority of people who responded to these surveys thought that women with children belonged in the house, not taking care of um, or not also working. And that was global data. So it'd be interesting to see what the U.S. data would look like with that question. So there's a reality and there's a perception that's causing more problems, more burnout for women and especially for women who feel like they're an only. And although this research was women women who had young children feeling like they're an only, the same research, very similar research for women who are an only because of some intersectionality like race or disability status or LGBTQ plus status. Um, And that goes back to that diversity conversation we were having at the very beginning, that when you are wanting to bring in some more diversity on your team in any way, it's going to be challenging to do that until you can demonstrate that you have diversity in your organization so that person does not feel like an only. Nobody wants to be an only. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to look at some interesting nuances in salary negotiation for women and why, you know, telling women they need to negotiate more isn't as simple of an answer as it sounds like it should be. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career you can have the foresight skills and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities a strategic advantage and career expert marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused get found and get hired Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. tuned into the career confidant with marie zimanoff if you have a question or comment for marie or her guest today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to marie at a strategic advantage.com now back to the career confidant welcome back to the career confidant and today we've been talking about women's career issues and some of the ways that leaders and career services providers, as well as, of course, female job seekers themselves, can work around these issues. So one of the things we hear a lot is that one of the reasons women don't make as much as men is because they don't negotiate as much. And the research supports that idea. And so the likely conclusion is, well, women just need to negotiate more. Unfortunately, it's just not that simple. So this was some research done by Harvard. And let's see if I can find the date. I think it was a pretty recent research, 2,500 NBA students that they were looking at. And they looked at the salary negotiation tendencies of these individuals So when women go to negotiate, um, there's some nuances that really make a difference in terms of how this, how it works out. So when a woman goes to negotiate, there's often some backlash response by the negotiating partner. And this comes from these stereotypes, subconscious notions about how women should act, that if a woman is overly assertive in their negotiation tactics, it becomes it becomes an impasse. So this is it says the likelihood that the discussion will end in an impasse nearly triples. So when a woman is a strong outside option and they're negotiating, they feel like they have negotiating power, they often face this backlash. So women face this catch-22, right? If they're not assertive enough, they don't get anything. And if they are assertive, they risk having this backlash. And the backlash intensifies as the woman gains power. Um, So when they reach positions of higher rank, it often becomes even worse. And so then you see some of this gender inequity at those same areas. So there are companies that are trying to do some training around this, right? It's not a pie. It's not like if I make more, you're going to make less. But that seems to be the American approach to negotiation in a lot of different ways. Um, And so they're trying to put some structure around negotiation to 
help people manage it a little bit better. And I would say that if you are a female looking to negotiate or you're coaching females who are negotiating, one of the strongest um, one of the strongest phrases that I hear that people talk about is just a collaborative approach. And, you know, how can we work to get more towards this where it's an opportunity for people to work together and make it not a zero-sum game and really make sure that if you're negotiating salary, you stick away from that kind of focus on one aspect and making it overly focused on money, which sounds interesting, but there are a lot of other things to negotiate um, and how we do that can make a difference. So one of the other things that plays into negotiation is the idea of who are you negotiating with and really understanding that, which is important no matter who you are as a seller negotiator. But really doing your research, not just on the company and the industry, but also on the person that you are communicating with. And the best way to do this research is asking great questions during the interviews, right? You're going to interview with this person before you before you negotiate salary with them. So doing your research on the company, asking people what's going on in the industry, asking people what the salaries are in the industry. And this is something that people are afraid to do because they think they need to do it in a confrontational way, but you don't need to. So it would be thinking about what are the what are the trends in salaries right now at this organization? And you're asking this not of your interview team, but of other people that might work there or did work there. What are the starting salaries for this type of role? You can ask that of your interview team. What is the budget for this role? Asking those types of questions can be great during the interview process, and I would just you would just want to really think about doing that research, not just in terms of the money, but in terms of the salaries, the data, the trends that are real. Online research is great, but reality is going to help a lot better. And then, of course, the more companies are being transparent with their salaries, more tra- more transparency is going to improve this for people because then we know what we're going for and we don't have to guess um, and we don't have to have this negotiating game. I've also heard of companies that are not allowing anyone to negotiate. So this is just the way it is. And that is their... That's their way of getting rid of these gender differences. So don't be surprised if you hear that, that a company is making an offer and saying that you you can't negotiate it. Uh, this is just what it is. Some people are being thrown off by that nuance in the, in the hiring process, but I, I'm definitely hearing that as a tactic. Companies are employing to get away from the gender differences in salary. They've gone across, they've done a survey, they've decided that this is how much they're going to pay these roles, and they're not doing salary negotiations. 
so that they can stay away from that imbalance in gender pay, which is interesting. And, and you know, it, kudos to them for trying out a strategy that could bring some equity to their salary positions. And also seeing more states that are requiring companies to list the salary for roles in the job descriptions and the job announcements and hoping that that will help gender equity. And also, although not here in the U.S. yet, although there's some HR leaders, proponents of it, where in other countries there are scorecards and companies are have to report their salaries and the salary disparities between different groups and the, the diversity at their organizations. And all of that is very public and reported. And uh, we'll see if the U.S. ever moves to anything like that. It'd be interesting to watch. The other thing I would say is that, as I, as I said before, negotiating salary isn't just about salary. And when we over-focus on that, it can often become more combative. We can also negotiate time off, flexibility, benefits, and especially if you're at these C levels, your stock options, your, you know, your, what will happen when you're let go. So a lot of people up front are negotiating their severance. What does that look like when there's a, a separation agreement? There are so many other aspects that you can uh, negotiate. So if you go and ask about the salary, and maybe that's even lower than you want it to be, instead of starting there, you could start and understand what does the benefit package include and get all of the details before you jump in and start trying to negotiate anything. Then you're doing your research, you're understanding the, the entire package, and you have a more collaborative approach because you've asked questions, you've really dug in, you've demonstrated uh, flexibility and collegiality throughout the process. And then when you do ask for the increase in salary, perhaps that you're looking for, it will have better outcomes because now there's more cards on the table. The person, you know, HR might not even thought of other, other things that they could be able to help you with if perhaps they aren't able to help you with salary because of some kind of restrictions. There are so many other opportunities and options for them if you as a candidate can open up the conversation and explore some of those first. You might be surprised at some of the other aspects that come along with it. So, for instance, um, I've had employees or, uh, yeah, employees, people that are negotiating who maybe the salary wasn't movable. This is this is what the salary is for whatever reason, but they could get relocation expenses, maybe because those were in a separate budget, or maybe they could get uh, education expenses because, again, sometimes those are in the HR budget instead of in the department budget. There are a lot of opportunities if we are really thinking about what is important to us and then communicating that to the company and also really understanding what is important to that company, bringing that open perspective of understanding what they need, what they're looking for, and then bringing in that collaborative approach to get 
closer to a win-win for for both of us um, or a compromise compromise for both of us and doing all of this after that offer has been made and they have decided that we are the candidate that they want we don't want to start any of this before then and so when we come back i'll give you a few phrases that anyone can use during a salary negotiation to move the process forward or perhaps delay the salary conversation if it's not quite the right time yet. We'll take a short break and we'll be back in just a few minutes. The business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the career confidant with marie zimanoff if you have a question or comment for marie or her guest today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to marie at a strategic advantage.com now back to the career confidant all right well let's talk about some of these phrases that anyone can use in a negotiation to delay or just give themselves a better positioning in a salary negotiation. So the first one is, I'd be happy to discuss salary when we've decided I'm the right person for this role, right? If the person's asking you about salary too early, they're not the decision maker, you haven't been given an offer, um, and you can use this phrase in a cover letter if they're asking for salary requirements there, and, uh, it, you know, it's just one option. You know, I'll go through three of them. But I'd be happy to s- discuss salary when we've decided I'm the right person for this role. Uh, it can work in an early interview. can work in a cover letter when you haven't been made an offer yet. And if they're asking you about your salary expectations, that is one phrase that you can use. And then you want to segue into 
you know, tell me more about this role. Ask a question, get them engaged in, in moving the conversation forward. Second phrase is actually a question. What's the budgeted range for this role? They have a budget. They have a range. Almost all companies, especially big companies, have a salary classification system. What is the budgeted range for this position or what is the salary range for this position classification? If you know your industry, you know the terms, ask the question using the those same terms and it might be interesting to see the response that you get. So that's the second phrase that anyone can use in any situation. You can use that in a cover letter as well where you, um, you know, so I'd be happy to, or I guess the phrase in a letter might be, I understand that your company offers competitive salaries and would expect the compensation to be on par with the industry standard. It's a great statement that says nothing, right? (laughs) If you're in a conversation, you could simply ask, what is the budgeted range for this role or what is the range for this position's classification? Third phrase that anyone can use is, based on my research, roles in this area are paying X to Y. You want to have a range that's ten to 15000 and based on research, preferably not just online research using salary.com or your professional association, but also talking to people, asking them, what is the starting salary for this role? What is the range for this position classification? And you can contact your own HR if you're applying for similar types of roles in different companies, or let's say you're applying for roles inside your companies. Contact HR and ask for the salary classifications, and most likely they will give them to you because if it's a big company and those are spelled out, you've got it. If it's not a big company, find people that work there, people that used to work there. Don't ask them what they make. You don't have to. Ask them what type of salaries are these positions starting out today? What types of salary trends are you seeing inside your organization? When you get the conversation started, you might be surprised at what types of information people are willing to share. And this is a phrase you can use in a letter if you really feel like you've got to put a number in there. I'd expect compensation to be in this range based on additional compensation aspects like benefits, bonuses, etc. Those are three phrases anyone can use to delay the salary negotiation or to try to get that employer to tell you the salary before you have to mention a number. Most positions today are becoming more clear cut. Again, some of them are eliminating this salary negotiation conversation altogether. I try to see that as a positive as much as you can. And to be prepared to discuss other elements of compensation. We're not just talking about salary negotiation here. We're talking about compensation negotiation, benefits, paid time off, flexibility, remote work opportunities, and you know whatever that might look like, education benefits, relocation benefits if it is a non-site position. 
seeing some squirrely things around that right now where companies that used to pay for relocation are no longer paying for relocation because it's a quote-unquote remote role or hybrid role, not remote, hybrid. It's like, well, how is it supposed to be hybrid if you can't move to where you can go into the office every now and, you know, or whatever. Usually hybrid means a few days a week in the office. But anyways, very interesting trends going on there. They may be doing location-based pay. There's a huge movement towards location-based pay. And you can negotiate that. You can see what your options are. Again, some companies are just going to have their formula, which is what I've heard some companies. So you've got your base salary or your you know salary at somewhere where the cost of living is X. And then to get the salary at the other location, they use the cost of living index to figure out that salary in a different area. And there's really not much that you can do about that. You can always ask. doesn't hurt to ask. And pushing back and saying, my work is the same no matter where I work. Why are you doing location-based pay? Uh, you can you can ask, but it probably won't go over well in that way. Do your research, know your pushing points, and know how you can negotiate. I'll leave you with this story that I've told before, but if you're a new listener, listen in. So two people that I know very well. One tried to negotiate for more vacation time at a new company and got told no right away. Then the next one went in and negotiated for that extra vacation time, but had a thought process. They said, you give three weeks vacation when someone has five years of experience. I have five years of experience. In fact, they had more. It's just not here. And that person was able to get the additional vacation days because they had a thought out reasoning behind what they were asking for. Have a reason, have research, know how you compare to your peers, know how that salary compares to what's being offered in your area. And then you have a collaborative approach. You don't want to have a, well, you know, the industry standard is X. You want to have a good voice, collaborative approach My client that was able to make that approach work for her had done the research, what the salary range was for, this was an executive assistant, and went in and said, these are the things you're looking for. I meet or exceed all of these areas. And this was after the job was offered. So there wasn't that uh, fear of being said, well, I guess you're overqualified then. Job was offered, went in there with the range in that geographic location for an executive assistant, which you can get off of uh, salary.com or you know even the ONET online, America's Career InfoNet, you can get that information for your geographic location. And then how this person filled every single job requirement, in fact, exceeded it and should be at the top of that range. And this was at a government organization where you think salary would be less flexible And that person got $10,000 more than they had offered because of the thoughtful approach to the salary negotiation. Do your research, know your value, be clear, ask great questions during the interview process so that you can speak directly to their needs and build good rapport 
with those interviewers. And then don't make it all about salary. Have other areas where you can negotiate so that you're able to feel successful. You and the interviewer are able to feel successful even if they can't budge on salary. If you have other topics that you think we should cover, I'd love your questions. Marie, M-A-R-I-E at careerthoughtleaders.com. And we'll see you right back here again next week on The Career Confidant. Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Zimanoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then. 